You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter. I'm Professor John Atlanta's John Marshall Law School. And it's kind of interesting. Um, semester doesn't start till August 10th, and we are doing remote uh, teaching. I'm not sure I was in favor of that, but it wasn't my decision. It was the board of uh, directors. And it, uh, yes, it's directors because it's still technically John Marshall is a for-profit law school. It is going to con- be converted to not-for-profit, which it was in the beginning. Uh, but um, uh, so it wasn't my decision, but they, uh, in terms of, and it makes some sense. The, the building is not all that well ventilated, so uh, who knows? Uh, whether they made the right decision or not, but uh, we'll see how it goes. B- but part of the training for, um, especially for we old folks, in terms of using technology to teach remotely, is uh, on Wednesday of next week, we're having diversity and inclusion. Yes, John Marshall, Landis John Marshall is going uh, <coughs> somewhat woke like other schools, uh, although nothing like other schools. Uh, John Marshall still values uh, free speech and diversity of opinion. But it's kind of interesting that we should have that added to our session, considering the fact that according to the American Bar Association uh, Accreditation Committee, John Marshall's uh, minority student rate is 41%. So 41% of our students were minority, mostly African-American or black, uh, some Hispanics, uh, some uh, Asian students. But it was 41% minority student. Now, what do we need to know about diversity? I mean, we got a diverse student body for sure. Well, in any case, so so be it. Um, Let's get on to today's topics. I have two topics today. And the first one is this brouhaha about voter fraud. And the claims you hear from the left... Oh, well, you know, there'll be 30 people were prosecuted for voter fraud in the last X number of years, and, and that's all they could find. And, 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 you know, and some, all right, so the local officials stuffed the ballot once in a while, but it's in, an insignificant uh, problem. On the other hand, you see the number of 5.7 million people may have, non-citizens may have voted. Now, when I'm talking about non-citizens, I'm not just talking about illegals. There are something like 30 million non-citizens in this country, including illegals, maybe more if you include, uh, it's hard to get a count of the illegals. But let's say it's 30 million. So there's this big thing about, oh, well, you know, uh, 5.7 million uh, 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 non-citizens voted uh, in the last election. Uh, Now, where does that number come from? It actually comes from a Harvard study. Yes, a Harvard study. In the Harvard study, which was done in 2008, has been uh, looked at and updated for years after that, including a study I'm going to talk to you about later. Um, they estimated that something like 14 to 15 percent of non-citizens had registered to vote. Now, if you take 15 percent of three million, 30 million, excuse me, you get four and a half million. Uh, if the number of uh, non-citizens in the country is 40 million, you get a higher number. In any case, the number of uh, alleged uh, non-voting citizens, uh, 
citizens who voted, who should not have voted, non-citizens who voted, uh, 5.7 million, it comes uh, from that Harvard study. But the Harvard study did not say that all those non-citizens actually voted. And in fact, the Harvard study, uh, if you look at it, estimated around 600,000 non-citizens voted. A certain percentage of the non-citizens that were registered also voted. And the number came up around 600,000. You can look all this up, uh, Harvard study, 2008. So that's kind of interesting that we have non-citizen voting that could be as high as 600,000. You say, well, you know, compared to how many people vote, you know, 120 million people, 130 million people voting, it's not that much, but it is certainly enough to turn a close election depending where they voted. For example... Norm Coleman, who was the incumbent senator in Minnesota some years ago, lost his Senate seat to Al Franken. Clearly, the Democrats stole that seat. It wasn't in, it, there was no question about it. And they stole that seat by getting people that were non-eligible to vote, and that was mostly uh, felons. Minnesota felons in prison cannot vote, but they counted their votes anyway. And the counties that were controlled by Democrats... Uh, kept recounting and recounting the votes until they got enough votes to give Al Franken the victory. So that's a, a and it goes back. There's a some years ago there was um, governorship in Washington that the Democrats stole. Uh, many years ago in Louisiana, Woody Jenkins had won a Senate seat, but you never heard of Woody Jenkins because they f- stole the seat from him. And there are various ways of voter fraud and that's one of the look right now in New York State they had a lot of this mail-in voting they still haven't counted all the mail-in votes they still haven't figured out which are duplicates which are not duplicates in in a couple of close elections so 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 President Trump definitely has an argument as do the Republicans what the Republicans want to do they want to suppress fraudulent voting. What the Democrats want is to maximize fraudulent voting because it works in their favor. You know, after all, landslide Lyndon Baines Johnson. How did he win his sentence? Fraud. He lost. But they held back some, let's say, uh, ballot boxes from South Texas until they knew how many more votes Lyndon Johnson needed in order to win the Senate seat. You have to say, well, how do you know? This is a well-known documented issue. Uh, and the biography of Lyndon Johnson, the three-volume three biography by, by Carol of Lyndon Johnson. You say, well, Johnson's reaction to that was this, that he had lost the Senate seat, I think it was four years before, two or four years before, and he had lost the Senate seat because they defrauded him. And that's true. Lyndon Johnson was running against the incumbent governor. The incumbent governor was a dry. The liquor interests wanted the lieutenant governor to become governor because he was a wet. So they arranged for, let's say, enough votes in East Texas to throw the election uh, to the to the governor 
for the Senate seat and get him out of Austin because they wanted the lieutenant governor in there because they wanted the liquor sales. So Lyndon Johnson, it's well-known fact, Robert Caro, said, I will never lose an election like that again. I will be prepared next time. And he sure was. And uh, so between uh, the Supreme Court Judge uh, William Douglas, it's a complicated story, but Supreme Court Judge Judge uh, Douglas, as well as President Franklin Roosevelt, were involved in the conspiracy to get Lyndon Johnson elected because he was considered more favorable to the New Deal than the uh, other, the Democratic candidate against him in the primary. In those days, Republicans didn't count in Texas. So anyway, we, we know there's a there's a history of close elections, uh, close elections being stolen, and it's mostly the Democrats who do the stealing and. Uh, I can think of, uh, I said, besides the that governorship in Washington, Norm Coleman's Senate seat in Minnesota, Lyndon Johnson in uh, Texas. Uh, there's a, a, a congressional race in Indiana involving, I think, the Republican's name was McIntyre or McLeod. I think it's McIntyre. I don't remember now exactly. But uh, so the question is, what are we talking about? How are, are, are fraud... Uh, how is fraud committed? Well, there's several ways, and I'm going to tell you. There's, of course, um, multiple voting. In the Woody Jenkins race in Louisiana, they had one person testify that he had voted eight times for the Democratic opponent, who, of course, was declared the winner of the race. He voted eight times that the, the Democrat uh, machine in, in New Orleans would just take him from polling booth, a polling station, a polling station, and he, and I forgot how much money he said he got for each vote, but he voted eight times. So you have double voting, then you have non-citizen voting, then you have dead folks voting. And if right now, if you look at the, the uh, registration, there's an estimated 1.8 million dead folks still on the ballots, still registered. That does not mean 1.8 million dead <laughs> ballots from dead folks will be cast. You know, the old joke in Chicago is, you know, my uncle voted straight Republican his entire life until he died. Then he switched to the Democratic Party. Uh, but the um, it's the same thing as this, this 15 percent. So 15% of 30 million non-citizens who are registered doesn't mean the 15%, 4.5 million, or if it's 40 million, uh, you know, 6 million, whatever it is, doesn't mean they voted. The Harvard study, I think, came up with the figure of 600,000. There's another study, and, and this and I, and this I get brought up because um, I got an, an email from an acquaintance of mine who wanted to uh, uh, study voter suppression, was big on voter suppression, and said the Republicans are trying to suppress the vote. Never mind. Look, in Georgia, we the, the minority community made record-breaking turnout uh, in terms of percentage of registered voters turning out for the last governorship election. The black voters succeeded Republicans in terms of the percentage of registered voters. And by the way, uh, Stacey Abrams, who's the calls herself the legitimate governor of Georgia, she lost by 52,000 votes. Yeah, look it up. 
52,000 votes. You're going to tell me that even if there was voter suppression, that 52,000 people were prevented from voting and they all would have voted for Stacey Abrams? That's absurd. It's nonsense. But getting back to, um, uh, to, to, to these problems, there is another uh, article called One Person, One Vote, Estimating the Prevalence of Double Voting in U.S. Presidential Elections. And this study, that's the name of the study, and this study comes from professors at Sanford University, University of Pennsylvania, Harvard University, and has the Microsoft research backing it to, to, um, uh, to, to, for statistical reasons. And, and this is a very technical study, and it, uh, it's very well balanced. It talks about how they calculated uh, this, and, and it, they estimated that it could be that one and every 4,000 voters double voted. That would be the high end. But they don't know. If you read the whole article, and it's very technical. It goes on for 12, 14 pages. They don't know. But the bottom line is there is fraudulent voting, and, it's, and it can be significant in close elections. Then they question about it. Is it 5.7 million votes? That's highly unlikely. So that claim by some Republicans is not true. That claim is based upon the estimate by the Harvard study that of how many non-citizens are registered, not how many have actually voted. So that's a different number. And secondly, a number of the non-citizens who vote, of course, vote in California, and it makes no difference because even if no non-citizens voted in California, the Democrats would take the state. However, they do have a, a, an impact on local elections. The, the, uh, some Republicans claim that uh, the uh, Democrats stole seven uh, seats, congressional seats in California from them. But there's another thing that Democrats do, which is only sometimes, sometimes it's tech, technically illegal. Uh, well, not technically, it's illegal, and some, they do it anyway, and that's what's called vote vote harvesting. And they like to do that in the retirement communities. They run with lots of absentee ballots. They run into these uh, communities, retirement communities or, uh, uh, you know, uh, other areas where where, where, uh, uh, retirees live or or impaired people live with ballots. And they help them fill out the ballots. That's known as vote harvesting. And they take the ballots back and get counted. We're up against a break. We'll be right back after the break. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino back with Do Facts Matter. And... Uh, 
The answer, of course, is no. Facts don't matter. And I just <laughs> recited some facts on fraudulent voting, studies done by uh, respected researchers at respected institutions. And, of course, Democrats don't want to hear about that. And that was actually true of um, the individual who had sent me a uh, email about stopping the dastardly Republicans from suppressing the vote. And I just sent back a, uh, an email saying, well, you know, they may have a, a problem. I'm not saying that that uh, whatever the Republicans want to do should be done, but, you know, we ought to, ought to look at this thing in a scholarly way and look at the studies. And I cited the Harvard study to this individual, and his response was the response you always get from the left. What does he care what the facts are? His emotions were more important. How he viewed things was more important. That's how it came through his response to me. And, he, of course, he attacked me on, on, uh, on, on disagreeing with him on this vote suppression. And I just wrote him back and said, look, your argument is with Harvard, not with me. So the answer is there is vote fraud. It is how extensive the vote fraud is is still a matter of debate. Uh, it would seem that there are some close races that have been switched by vote fraud. Um, going back to the 2016 elections, remember that that Hillary Clinton took California by 4 million votes. Her margin in California alone was 4 million. Trump lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. Which means if there had been a popular vote election, California would decide who our president is going to be. And uh, people don't understand uh, the Electoral College and why it works and why it works so well. But anyway, the point is that if you took California out of the equation, Trump wins the popular vote by a million votes. That includes New York, includes Illinois, includes Massachusetts, includes all these big Democrat states. Trump still wins the popular vote by a million Add in California, and he loses by three million to Hillary Clinton. So the, Hillary Clinton's entire margin of victory really is in California. Um, but of course, liberty is not protected by radical democracy; it's protected by balancing interests, and that's what the founders understood. The founders did not favor a d- democracy; they far they f- favored certain democratic elements. The House of Representatives, for example. But the Senate, there was no direct election of the senators. And, of course, senators, every state has two, no matter what the population is. So North Dakota has two. California has two. Quite a difference in population. The idea was that they would protect the interests of each and every state, which may vary. State interests may vary. And, therefore, the state legislatures would elect the senators. And uh, then, of course, that was changed after the democratic democracy upheaval. Uh, Andrew Jackson, you know, the reason that Democrats had Jefferson Jackson Day uh, 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 dinners for years and years and years is because Jefferson, of course, was uh, Declaration of Independence and and very uh, principled. principled reasoning and which he didn't necessarily apply to his own life uh, one has to realize that Jefferson really was anti-slavery he tried to prevent slavery from uh, expanding beyond the original 13 colonies in other words 
he wanted to prevent Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, all those states to have, have slaves. And he, he, uh, he lost that fight. And you say, well, if he was anti-slavery, why did he keep the slaves? Well, you know, it's about money, isn't it? Jefferson was a lousy businessman, and he couldn't keep his estate afloat without slave labor. So he uh, essentially violated his own principles by maintaining slavery, but then preventing himself from becoming insolvent. Anyway, and of course, uh, Andrew Jackson uh, was a terrible person. Uh, he treated his slaves terribly. He was nasty, vicious with his slave. And of course, he double-crossed the Cherokee Indian, the Vale of Tears. And, but, uh, and uh, his economic policies were very questionable. Poor Martin Van Buren got blamed, but poor Martin Van Buren, he's, he's president for three months, the economy collapses, and people blamed Martin Van Buren. Well, you couldn't do all that much damage in three months of the presidency. The, uh, the collapse of the economy into a, a recession or, or, or deep recession or, or depression was a leftover from uh, the, what happened during the Andrew Jackson's uh, presidency. But that takes me far afield from where I was. Okay, now we concede the fact, and we should concede the fact, that there is fraudulent voting. There's different kinds of fraudulent voting. There's double voting. I, in 2004, I just want to add, you know, in 2004, when the dis- dispute in Florida about who took Florida, which, of course, Bush actually took it. They were recounts of the entire state. But there was some indication that maybe as many as 60,000 Floridians voted in two places, mostly New York and Florida, and mostly concentrated around the Miami area, of course. So, in other words, uh, uh, Bush probably took Florida by a a pretty decent margin rather than the few hundred votes that he finally um, declared a winner. But getting back, so double voting, dead folks voting, in in in, Pens- in Philadelphia, some voting precincts report uh, a turnout between eighty percent of registered voters and one hundred twenty percent of registered voters. So, if you get a turnout of eighty percent, it's very unusual. If one hundred twenty percent of registered voters turn out, oh man, that is really unusual, right? Yeah, think about it. So, so there is fraud. There is fraudulent voting. How widespread it is is another question. I think it's fair to say. Maybe it's a million, million and a half. I don't know uh, uh, of non-citizens voting. Someday they'll be a little more uh, complete. The the interesting that uh, one of the studies, the study I just mentioned, one man one vote, does recommend certain reforms in order to keep tabs uh, of uh, of uh, legit voting and uh, eliminate the uh, non-legitimate voting. Something the Democrats would never agree to anyway. Uh, absolutely not. But let me talk about something else. And, and, I, and I brought that up, this fraudulent voting, because we're having an election in 2020. There's no question the Democrats are willing to have as many fraudulent votes cast as possible, that uh, having a national vote by mail is a recipe for disaster. I'm not saying that... Uh, you know, every state has absentee balloting. They, people can get the absentee ballots. People have this, this, there's early voting. There's all sorts of things that people can do who, if they really want to vote. And what was the voter turnout in 2016? And this was a hardly a hard-fought election. 
58% of registered voters, or eligible voters, excuse me, 58% of eligible voters. Now, that's not, that's not very good. On the other hand, it's not all that bad. I mean, who really wants people that are totally uninterested and easy to manipulate voting? Ah, the Democrats, of course. They want to lower the voting age to 16. Well, it's bad enough it's at 18. You know, when, when the voting age was lowered to 18, when they were thinking about that, I thought it should be raised to 24 uh, because young folks are always, not always, but often suckers for any utopian scheme. And we've talked about that in the show before, how young folks are much more easy to manipulate uh, than older folks. Uh, they don't have experience. They want to be part of something great and terrific. They want a, a perfect world, which they're not going to get, of course. It's uh, so one thing about both Jewish and Christian theology. The fallen nature of man, not perfectible. Original sin is about the fallen nature of man. Man is not perfectible. Despite the French Revolution, despite the Nazis, despite the communists, despite Pol Pot and Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler and uh, Cesar Chavez and all the rest of Mao Zedong and the rest of these utopian thinkers that are going to create the utopian society, they all failed and they all caused huge harm to ordinary folks. Mass murder in Mao Zedong. I mean, after all, Stalin ordered 40,000 kulaks. Now, who were the kulaks? The kulaks in Russia, who were they? In the Soviet Union. They were the farmers who made enough food to sell to other people to prevent them from starving. Remember, when Lenin collectivized the farms, famine was the rule in, in, in the hinterland. Things, and, and Lenin had to come up with the new economic policy. What was the new economic policy? To return to free markets, at least in the agricultural sector, which saved the communist regime, which would have been overthrown because of the famine. Now, Stalin, being a true believer, he inherited from Lenin the new economic policy. That means a free market in agricultural goods. And that was contrary to the socialist mantra and therefore he recollectivized the farms and the best farmers, the ones who had done the best work and raised the most crops, he had them shot. Uh, so so anyway, where are we going in this country? I'm not saying we're going to a Mao Zedong or a Stalin or a, or a, or a Hitler or a Pol Pot or even, or even a Cesar Chavez but I am saying things are not looking all that great. And I, let me mention a book. 1944, Frederick August von Hayek, Frederick Hayek, wrote a book called The Road to Serfdom. And The Road to Serfdom is just what it is. And he, his thesis, basic thesis, was that central planning, uh, central economic planning always is inherently coercive. It's in, and it is, because obvi obviously uh, if you read some of the books written in the 1960s who were praising the Soviet Union for their great advances uh, in technology or alleged advances in technology, 
They refer to the you know, command economy. Command by who? By a bunch of bureaucrats from the center. I mean, if it's a command economy, someone's got to give the commands, and that's the bureaucrats in the center. And so uh, Hayek said that uh, economic planning in, is, was inherently coercive. Of course it is. Command economy. And it is always imposed by a small minority. And what is a small minority? The central planners, the bureaucrats. And do, have we had any of that recently? Yes, under the Obama administration. Now, let's take a look at something here before I talk about that. Socialism involves the, the, uh, the uh, takeover of the, of the means of production by the central government, public ownership of that. But there is something short of socialism, which the Democrats believe in, and which also Hitler, who was a socialist, stopped at. And we're up against a hard break once again. So I will be back right after the break. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move, Timothy Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. It's Professor Robert D'Agostino back with New Facts Matter. And uh, I just was talking about uh, Frederick Hayek's uh, book, uh, The Road to Serfdom, his 1944 uh, book, uh, which, by the way, sold, I don't know, probably eventually sold close to a million copies. And... uh, and talking about serfdom and what, what, is it, what, is it, what does it mean to be a serf? You know, when, uh, when the serfs were freed in Russia, they all complained, who's going to take care of us? So, um, the, and that's what it's about. It's about looking to the government to make all the major decisions, to make sure you're taken care of, and uh, to give up your liberty, to lodge swats, parts of your liberty. Don't confuse liberty with libertine. I mean... The left is always willing to trade libertine morality for, for the important aspects of liberty, which is, of course, control of property, control of uh, income, control of the things that are important in life, health, what have you. So what do we have in terms of the road to serfdom? Well, let's look what the Democrats – now, look, I'm summarizing in a extent what Biden has said. Assume you can make heads or tails of what he talks about sometimes. 
what his platform advocates, and there's a platform, you can look it up, and the commentary on that platform, because some of it's very vague, uh, purposely vague, of course. And uh, so what do we have here? Well, let's take a look at the economy. In, in, uh, in the 1930s, when Adolf Hitler came to power in Germany, he was asked in an interview, and by the way, he was welcomed into power by the progressives. They thought that he was, you know, really going to straighten things out in Germany and, and get things on, on even keel. Uh, they uh, did not foresee his, uh, what he, real, how he really governed. Um, but anyway, they, he was asked, uh, aren't you a socialist? And he said, of course I'm a socialist. He said, well, why aren't you doing what Lenin did in, in the Soviet Union and take over means of production and nationalize the industries and, and, and put commissars in every single uh, factory and, and control it for the, for the public? And his answer, which you can uh, read specifically, but the gist of his answer was, look, I want to leave the people in charge of all these big corporations who know how to run them as long as they do exactly what I tell them to do. And so we have a probably the, the best statement of corporate capitalism can be. And Mussolini was a great theoretician of corporate capitalism. Now, he called it fascism. Initially, the uh, fascism were to, to an economic system. It had other connotations as time went on, obviously. But let's go back and say corporate capitalism. Obama was a corporate capitalist. And what is that? It means that big government, big corporations, and big unions get together and make decisions. Who wins, who loses? In terms of big unions, the payoff is power and money, higher, much higher wages, but mostly not so much higher wages because the, the economy will take care of that by itself. But... Uh, Power, influence, better working conditions, that's for sure. And that's what happened in the uh, late 1800s, and we'll go back to that in a minute. So, so what, what, what the Obama administration, the trade-off for the big corporations, was the Obama administration would limit competition. And the regulations and tax policies of the Obama administration discouraged medium and small businesses. And you'll see during the eight years of the Obama presidency, the number of businesses, small businesses going out of business exceeded the number of forming. We have that happening again today, but for other reasons. All right. So what was the other trade-off? The other trade-off was that the Obama administration would essentially buy into this global economy after all, 1.3 billion people live in China, only 330 million live in the United States. So you're a major corporation, and uh, you're one of the ultra-wealthy, billions of dollars. You want access to the Chinese market, and you don't want an administration that uh, either limits access by the Chinese to our market or retaliates against the Chinese for what, they, what they've done, the Chinese, I should say the Chinese communists, what the Chinese communists have done in the way of stealing intellectual property and unfair trade deals, you don't want uh, you don't want any interference with that. 
which, by the way, explains exactly why the big corporations are now part of the Democrat uh, constituency. Don't you believe for a moment that the Democrats will ever do anything to to uh, to to uh, deleteriously affect the big uh, the big corporations, the big guys? That's what. That's what. Look at campaign contributions. Look where it's coming from. You know, we did. A, if you take the ten or twelve wealthiest folks in the United States, ones with multiple billions, Jeff Bezos with I don't know seventy billion, whatever he's got, a hundred billion, I don't know. Uh, all those people, George Soros, who controls at least forty billion dollars between his Open Society foundations and what he holds personally. What party do they support? Would it surprise you to know? that the last time I looked, nine out of ten of the top billionaires were Democrats? I'm going to update that uh, in the next couple of months and see see where we stand with that. And I'm going to ex- extend it to the top maybe 20 and see and see what they what they do to maintain their wealth and, uh, and explain why they're all Democrats, uh, almost all Democrats. So big corporations, ultra-wealthy Democratic Party. The Democrats own them. Hillary Clinton, Wall Street, the Democrats own Wall Street. Hedge fund managers are all Democrats. And you say, well, it's not just because of the money. Yeah, it is just because of the money. Although there's an element of this uh, of, of morality, they do not uh, want any uh, limits on their libertine uh, sexual appetites. We've seen that with Jeffrey Epstein, right? And uh, his group around him, which will... When the, names come out, you'll see it's going to be mostly big corporate executives or big Democratic contributors. Um, but so, what did Obama do? People speak on this green stuff. You think the Green New Deal is something new from AOC and Bernie Sanders? No, Obama was playing with that. And he um, uh, funded, had the government fund either by uh, direct grants or um, guaranteed uh, loans, uh, guaranteed investments, something like 30 green companies. Solyndra wasn't the only one. Solyndra only lost, what, $500 million? There were 30 of them. And the last time I looked, which was a couple of years ago, 29 out of those 30 went belly up, either filed bankruptcy or dissolved or were taken over by uh, Chinese companies. What else, aside from the fact that they all failed, virtually every one of them failed, what else do they have in common? Federal money, federal subsidies, federal loan guarantees, federal investment guarantees, and the investors were almost invariably Democratic campaign contributors. Look it up. So the economy then, we can say the Democrats are in favor of corporate capitalism. They control the winners and losers to a large extent. They interfere with competition to protect the big corporations and uh, to protect and Part of this has to be uh, going back and allowing all sorts of uh, trade deals with China that uh, work against us because the big corporations want to be in China. After all, General Motors sells more cars in China than they sell in this country. So 
the road to serfdom. Well, we're going to have limited economic freedom, limited economic choices, because the Democrats are going to opt for a policy of corporate capitalism. Look it up. All right. How about property? (sighs) Private property is a bulwark of a free society. If you have your own property, you can act independently. Uh, you have a certain amount of clout and power in terms of over events. And what have the Democrats come up with? In 2015, they came up with this affirmatively furthering fair housing, AFFH rule, AFFH, affirmatively furthering fair housing. And I, I saw the other day uh, that I think Tucker Carlson really referred to this. Uh, I, I didn't know anyone knew about it or, or remembered about it, but uh, apparently Tucker Carlson has a good research staff, and they did. And, of course, this federalizes zoning. So those of you who think you control zoning in your own area, your own neighborhoods, your own uh, cities, your own towns, villages, not under this rule. Under this rule... If any federal money comes in, the feds take over the entire zoning. And one of the things they look for is unbalanced, the percentage of ethnic groups. I mean, the Democrats are big on identity politics. Obviously, they're big on divide and conquer. Everybody's a victim except the oppressor. And uh, they have to figure out who the oppressor is. Of course, now it's white males. But, uh, uh, you know, I should say white religious males, Christian and Jewish males, because they have no use for for religion either. Um, At least uh, Jewish and Christian religions, they have no use for those. um, So so the government now wants to take over what you can do with property. The ultimate goal, if you read some of the radical lefties, and I used to scoff at these, but you can't scoff anymore, is to do away with single-family housing. No more single-family housing. More public spaces, more people living in concentrated housing. Nobody, no single-family housing. Never heard of the tragedy of the commons, but that's another issue for another day. Anyway, so the assault on private property, either through regulation or through assuming control through zoning, is underway by the Democrats and is... Biden, even though this rule hasn't been, this rule, by the way, is still on the books, although it's been modified by the Trump administration, but the affirmative, uh, affirmatively further fair housing, AFFH rule, uh, Biden has, in uh, an answer to a question, endorsed that rule. So goodbye zoning, goodbye suburbans, suburbans. Uh, hello uh, communities based upon ethnic balance and of course there's health care why should you decide on your own health care the government can socialize it and then you have bureaucrats deciding on your health care and if you take a look at uh, some of the studies and uh, I have and and let's say uh, you want a specialist in which system are you most likely to get a specialist promptly? Not in Britain, not in Canada, not in France, the United States. I'm going to bring in that study. It was done some years ago. But in terms of access to specialists, in terms of 
MRI machines per capita in population. And the U.S. leads. She said, well, but the U.S. does not lead in, in uh, births, uh, you know, deaths. Uh, we, we're, we're low on the list in, um, in, uh, in live births. Well, yes and no. If you look at carefully how they how the they count the the uh, how they count uh, number of uh, live births as opposed to the number of uh, stillbirths, you'll find something very very interesting. And with that, I'm going to leave it at there until after the break. We're coming up right now to a hard break, and I'll see you. I know I won't see you, but I'll be back soon. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Professor Robert D'Agostino, back with Do Facts Matter. And we were talking about uh, a trifecta of of, uh, signals that were going down that road to serfdom that Hayek uh, talked about in 1944 in in his famous book, The Road to Serfdom. And we talked about first uh, control of the economy. No, it wouldn't be socialist control in this country, but it would be con- indirect control by the government, big corporations, big unions, uh, through a, the imposition of a corporate capitalist system, which would be very hostile towards small business, or as the, the uh, socialists call them, the petty bourgeois. Yes, the petty bourgeois referred to small businesses, uh, free market economics, and what they have point what what the socialists always had against the petty bourgeois is that they would grow their business. They don't care if you have a little grocery store, like in France. But uh, what if you got really successful? What if you turned a little grocery store into Aldi or Publix? Then what? Uh, that would be a countervailing uh, power center or, or uh, influence center to the government, and we have to get rid of those. That's why the left has always attacked the, the family, the church, and now the police. We wouldn't want anything to stand between you and protection from the federal government, would we? Or, or, les, or protection. Let's go back to this healthcare business. 
there is a study, and I, I mentioned it before, of uh, things like uh, access to specialists, uh, number of MRI machines uh, per capita. And the U.S. comes at the top in everything except in inf- infant deaths. Birth, 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 I shouldn't say infant, but, but uh, stillbirths. But one of the problems there is how other countries count. In some countries, they do not count babies born prematurely. In some countries, they do not count babies who die within 30 or 60 days of birth. So the answer is, how are they counting the, the uh, birth deaths? How are they counting it? And if you, if you compare apples to apples instead of apples to oranges, the U.S. moves up the chain quite a bit. Not at the top. We're not number one or number two in, in terms of uh, uh, live births. Uh, other than abortions, those aren't counted. Of course, killing unborn babies is, doesn't count. But the um, but we move way up the, the chain. So if you take a look carefully at, the, at what happens in socialized medicine com- countries, by and large, you, two things. It works very well except in two instances. One, if you're seriously ill, then you've got real problems. And two, if you're old, and particularly if you're old and seriously ill, you can forget about it. Two aspirins, go home and die. Uh, if you talk to the doctors that I've talked to, one of my closest friends is a doctor in Maine. And how many people came ac- come across the border from Canada to see the doctors in Maine for treatment? It's, it would amaze you. You wonder how all those doctors in, in, in Maine being supported, yeah, cash-wise, by Canadian, <laughs> Canadian patients. Uh, so again, if you're seriously ill, socialized medicine is a problem. If you are old, socialized medicine is a problem. If you're seriously ill and old, you can forget about it. Um, reminds me of a story uh, I read about this, uh, oh, maybe about 10 or 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Anyway, this fellow was, a columnist was writing about his mother who was happily moved to an assisted living uh, retirement home where she could you know, decide how much help she needed, how much she didn't. It was very flexible. She was very happy, but one thing bothered her. And one thing she was very happy about is that her rent included access to the doctors uh, that were on staff. So she had no problem going to the doctors. But they kept raising her rent. And uh, so he said to her, well, mother, do you know why they're raising your rent? No, but they keep raising the rent. And they got to talking, and it turns out that because the rent included free access to the doctors, she would go to the doctor for anything, including a... a, uh, uh, a hangnail or splinter and uh, so her son said would you kind of think that that might have something to do with the fact they keep raising the rent that people are overusing the system uh, for minor stuff and she hadn't thought of that and that's one thing in socialized medicine a lot of minor stuff that you don't need to have a doctor for but you have it anyway uh, so we'll see. So, so now we have a party that that's, seems to be committed to corporate capitalism rather than free market capitalism, that between their regulatory and, and uh, their limitation on, on, on uh, 
competition, plus their commitment to global trade, because big corporations give their money to Democrats. Yes, Democrats, not Republicans. Look it up. Campaign contributions from political action committees, from individuals, or public record if they're over $200. Look it up. Yes, I have contributed to candidates over $200 to certain candidates, but they weren't Democrats. In any case, uh, we have the um, then we have this this assault on private property, not only through regulation limiting the use of your private property, sometimes ridiculous regulations promulgated by the Environmental Protection Agency or, or other things. Look, Hayek was very supportive of regulation for health and safety, and, and conservatives. I'm not a li- libertarian economically. I'm a conservative, so I. I don't believe that the most important thing is the creation of wealth. If the most important thing is the creation of wealth, you need to be a a libertarian because the unfettered free market will create more wealth than anything else. It also creates more disruption and more inequality. Let's take, you know, one of the things that people get really confused about, the robber barons. Oh, the age of the robber barons, Carnegie and uh, and Steele and Vanderbilt and railroads and J.P. Morgan and finance, the... The, the robber barons, oh, that terrible uh, imbalance in, in, in wealth. Huge, uh, huge uh, uh, imbalance. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, the uh, wealth uh, b- gap between the, the uh, middle and lower classes and the, the uh, robber barons and their uh, supporters uh, or their top eight. Top agents and top uh, employees it was it was tremendous, but let me tell you something. Look it up. In the robber baron era, let's say from after the Civil War, war between the states, uh, say 1865 until 1900, 35 years. In that 35 years, the heyday of the robber barons, I really got going there. Hundreds of millions upon millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. What happened to the wages of ordinary folks in real terms? In real terms, the income of ordinary blue-collar folks, ordinary folks out there, in real terms, increased by 75%. A huge increase in real wages. After the regulations, real wages didn't stagnate, but their, the increase in real wages uh, uh, were limited. And, and of course, uh, I think it was 33% for the next 20 years, or 35%, something like, uh, 33 next 20 years or 25 years, something like that. But during the robber baron age, usually considered 1865 to 1900, real wages increased by 75%. Look it up. Do not believe me. Look it up. Now, you say, well, but working conditions were terrible. Yes, but if working conditions were so terrible, why did so many people move from the farms to the cities and take these terrible working condition jobs? Because they made more money. Their life was more secure financially. And and in steps the unions. The unions were not mostly important for wages. Wages are accepted by the market and if they're not, the companies can't survive. 
working conditions, the unions really, their big benefit was working conditions and benefits like health insurance and stuff like that. So the unions, it wasn't their increase in wages where they had the most significant impact. It was, in fact, in on working conditions. You know, um, you know, although this happened after the heyday of the robber barons, uh, Henry Ford, uh, when he decided, I think it was 18, uh, excuse me, 1905, 1907, something like that, Henry Ford decides he's going to double the wages of his workers from $2.50 a day to uh, $2.50 an hour to $500, to five, I don't know where I, to $5 a day. These are a day, I've I've got to think, $2.50 to $5 a day. And, um, he got a gigantic number of people who uh, applied for these jobs. And so he was considered a great hero to the working man because he really uh, increased their wages. It was fantastic. What did he run afoul of later on? Not his wages. It wasn't. It was working conditions. Henry Ford kept speeding up the assembly line. People were dropping from exhaustion. They couldn't keep up. It was it was the working conditions, not the wages, that was a great motivation for a lot of the impulse to unionization. Working conditions, and and rightly so, because I'm a conservative. I think no, maximization of wealth shouldn't be the only criteria. That should be a criteria because everybody shares in that maximization of wealth. But there are other things: stability of a community. You know, when um, when people say that everything should be on merit, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, because if everything's on merit, then daddies would not leave their businesses to sons who not quite as sharp and not quite as uh, able. Uh, there are other things, community, loyalty, all these things can uh, measure in. And one of the great uh, reasons why affirmative action really has turned somewhat against those it was uh, it was originally supposed to help uh, blacks, particularly black males and you find out after everyone else got on board women it merit became confused with credential, credentials and so if you had credentials then you had merit and then we have all these uh, lawsuits constantly on that. Okay well anyway um, that's a, for another, a topic for another day uh, please take a look at what Hayek said. H A Y E K. Frederick Hayek, The Road to Serfdom. That's it for today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.